And welcome to a brand new episode of Scripts on Scripture. I am your host, Heather Preston. And with us today, we have a very special guest, Deanna Campo. Hi. Thank Thanks you so much me. for being here. <laughs> I'm really excited. You have so many years in ministry and lots of wisdom. Thanks. And um, so when I when God put this conversation in my heart, I um, I wrote your name on my the board in my office where I <laughs> keep track of all that. I was like, I need to ask her. So thank Aww, you for being for here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about the Bible, talk about God and all the crazy stories. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Today, um, our our main story is is on Rahab, and um, and I wrote uh, a chapter on her in in my book Between the Lines. There was so much, as I was studying her, so many principles that you could derive from her story that I just, I was like, this needs to be an episode because so many things that were coming to the surface, I was like, that's really relevant. Oh, that's really relevant too. And, you know, there's just so many, so many things that she has to teach us. And one thing that I really wanted to kind of ponder today was who do you represent? So I'll start us off with a little bit of of history because the story actually emerges and it's actually at the very end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies and anoints his successor, Joshua. And this is right before the Battle of Jericho. So if you spent any amount of time in Sunday school growing up, you heard about the Battle of Jericho. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And I just wanted to read what exactly it says about Moses before Joshua steps in. And this is in chapter 34. And it says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And like that right there kind of sets the bar at an impossible height. Pretty high. (laughs) No one (laughs) has risen since then like Moses. But it, it goes on further in verse 11. It says, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land? For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah. I kind of feel sorry for Joshua at that point because I'm like, hmm. and now here comes Joshua. Yeah, You know, like you're, you're kind of in a way set up to not be as good. Now, Joshua is no slouch. Let's, you know, that's not at all what I'm saying. He, he was a man who um, was one of two um, when Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan, he was one of two who said, yeah, let's do this thing. The rest were all terrified and meant that the Israelites would wander in the desert for 40 years. And he was a young man then. So if Mm -hmm. he was, you know, courageous enough at that point in his youth to be like, yes, we can do this. Yeah. Then, you know, he spent 40 years with these people, 40 years wandering around because they didn't have the courage he did then. So there's a lot on his plate. Mm hmm. It gets interesting because when they get to the the moment where they're about to 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 enter Canaan, and this is the the new generation essentially, he only sends in two spies. <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting. I've never heard anybody really dwell on that or go into that, but Moses sent twelve. Yeah, you're right. And he was one of two that came back like, yeah, we can do this. He only sends two, and I think that's a little bit interesting. It's almost like don't send a big party, and they'll just come back terrified. Just send two guys 
But the guys he sends are not exactly James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they're kind of made to look a little ridiculous. They they completely botch the job, are spotted immediately. But the main person who who spots them is a prostitute named Rahab. Identifies them right off the bat, and she hides them. And it's it's this really kind of incredible dynamic unfolding where the king spies spotted them as well. She must have spotted them sooner because she's able to hide them before the king spies, but the king spies knew where they went. So this is all happening in like real time. And they come to Rahab's door and they demand her to give them the spies. She lies to the king's guards and she says, yeah, they stopped by here, but they, they left. She convinces them. She's obviously very, very, you know, convincing in her story because they follow her directions, you know, whatever. Anyways, so she goes to the spies in chapter two. She says this, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. And the language that she uses here, if it strikes you as odd, it should. She says, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is in, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And the actual words that she's using, she's being very specific in them because she's quoting Moses. Mm. And I find it so interesting because here you have a Canaanite prostitute who wouldn't have had anyone explaining the scriptures to her, wouldn't have had, no one's going over to her inn, which is, you know, scholars believe that she, she ran an inn there. She, she still was a prostitute, but that was what her house was used for. And she wouldn't, but she wouldn't have had anyone teaching her Mm -hmm. Israelite scripture. She lived in the land of Canaan. You know, it was very much not, it was an enemy of the Israelites. And, um, and so she's the only way she would have known these verses is to have picked them up in passing. Yeah. But they clearly left a mark on her. And she quotes them to the spies, which makes her words here, they, they're recorded very carefully and they're done that way on purpose because they would have been incredibly significant. Mm-hmm. The Israelite spies, that would have been about the last thing they expected her to say was to yeah. quote Moses. In this first chapter, Rahab has managed to identify the Israelite spies, hide them, mislead the guards. She makes an alliance and she's, she's the one in the power position here because she's hiding them and she's misdirecting the enemy, and she smuggles the spies out, giving them specific instructions regarding the caves they should hide in because the guards won't look there, and mm-hmm. she how long to stay there because that's how long the guards will be out looking for you. She's essentially their military coordinator, commander, you know, and she sends them, she saves their lives. She, she absolutely saves their lives yeah. and negotiates the saving of her entire family. Yeah. So... It's interesting to me because the Israelite spies obviously represented Yahweh. They represented Israel. Mm-hmm. But she, she wouldn't have been impressed by these bumbling spies. Mm-hmm. Not in any kind of earthly capacity. Yeah. I mean, they completely botched the job. Yeah. And, and I've even read some scholars who argue, why exactly did they go to the inn of a prostitute. They were supposed to be scouting the land. I just just feel like there's so much missing information (laughs) between 
you know, chapter one and two. And I'm like, there's a lot there. Wait, what are we (laughs) not saying here? What are we not saying? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, and I was, and I was reading this, this particular scholar and, you know, and he's like, they're supposed to be scouting the land and they are at the end of a prostitute and she has to hide them. And they're just like, there's, they did essentially nothing right. And then they have to go back to Joshua with their report of the land what on earth are they supposed to tell him? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did they have time to scout the land? I mean, there's just so much there that is not None said. that's recorded. Mm. None that's recorded because they have to leave immediately. And they follow her instructions. And they hide in the caves. Hmm. And the the there are these, like, honeycombed caves outside of where Jericho is that would make a great hiding place and where Rahab directed the spies was away from that particular region. Anyways, it's, it's just, she wouldn't have any reason to be impressed by their military prowess. Mm -hmm. There's not much to be said in this particular moment. God isn't calling us to represent the nation. Now, obviously these spies could have done a much better job, but that's not what saved Rahab. Mm. That's not what like she wasn't responding to their strength or their ability yeah. or their intelligence. I mean, they don't exhibit any of those qualities. She was responding to the story of the God. Yeah. The Lord has given you this land. She says, the Lord has given you this land. Your God is God in heaven and on earth. After the spies come back and Joshua, you know, they, the only thing they can tell him is what she said to them. And that's all they have. Yeah. They they hid in her place, and then they hid in the caves. That's all they have. They say verbatim her words because they know, you know, who she was quoting. They know that, you know, they know Moses' prophecy, that the land would melt in fear from them. They quote that back to Joshua, and Joshua obviously recognizes that as mm. for what it is. And so he he has the whole army consecrate themselves and prepare for battle and all of this. But then there's this really unusual encounter Joshua has. And I had to like, as I was studying this, I have to kind of place myself in Joshua's shoes and imagine trying to lead these people and, and knowing, you know, he's not Moses. And there's all of this, like, those are our enemies. And, and, you know, and we're, you know, over here trying to, to be God's people. And I'm trying to motivate God's people, but we know how many times the Israelites went back and forth and, mm. you know, and there are, there's so many examples of Moses being frustrated. And if Moses in all of his, you know, greatness was frustrated, how much more yeah. Joshua. So anyways, chapter five is where this unusual encounter happens. And it says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Which I think is a really interesting question because Mm -hmm. that's how we look at it, right? Mm -hmm. We look at it as our side and their side. And he replies, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. Hmm. And if, if you know your Bible, if you know the story of Moses, which yeah. you do, who's, he, who, who's that entire exchange reminiscent of? I it's, mean, it's yeah. Moses. Yeah. 
That's Moses. It's Moses in the burning bush. Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy. You're in the presence of God. Yeah. And this exchange to me is so interesting because Joshua's like, whose side are you on? And God doesn't say I'm on Israel's side. Mm-hmm. He says neither. It wasn't his desire for the land of Canaan to perish. Mm. He gave them a choice. Rahab chose yeah. correctly. And her and her entire family was saved. Yeah. And we, you know, we read this in the New Testament where our quarrel is not with flesh and blood. Yeah. You know, so, but we still ask this question, whose side are you on? That's right. Neither. Hmm. And I, th- I just, you know, I, I had to step back and That's like. powerful. Really, yeah. like, kind of meditate on that. Like, yeah. whoa, okay. So, anyways, I, I think that a lot of times in, in ministry, it, we can feel the same way that I think Joshua was feeling about the Israelites. We can feel the same way about the church. Yeah. You know, and anyone who's against the church is against God. Yeah. And, and I think that's where a lot of times we get into this gray area. God uses people in his plan because he is perfect. He can do that. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times we get mixed up in our agenda and, and incorporating people into our agenda. And somehow, you know, this, this earthly plan, you know, it becomes the, the, the mission and it becomes the side we're on. And we can associate this earthly, how would you say it? This earthly agenda, get it mixed up yeah. in terms of, of who, who at the end of the day we ultimately represent. Mm-hmm. And you've had a long, mm-hmm. a long um, history in, in ministry. How many, how many years? How many uh, years? About 20. About 20 yeah. years. <laughs> It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. There's been a, it's been a roller coaster. It's been fun, but yeah. 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 You learn a lot. You see a lot and yeah. Experience a lot for sure. How would you say you've had to navigate representing God and the church? How do you, how do you navigate that territory and not get it mixed up? I, I mean, honestly, a lot of trial and error, (laughs) (laughs) right? Because as humans, we tend to gravitate, obviously, to what we can see with our yeah. flesh. And yeah. leaders and those that are in front of us or mentoring us or leading us, yeah. you know, you gravitate towards that. That's and why the Israelites wanted the king. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, we can see it. We can hear it. We can mm-hmm. touch it. Mm-hmm. And I think God is, in my life, he has taught me a lot about it's, it's me. Yeah. It's not the organization. Yeah. It's not the leader. Well, we we still respect it and honor it, right? Yeah, absolutely. That we represent Christ. Yeah. And that is so much more than a building yeah. Yeah. or a name or an organization. So absolutely. It's, it's, it's been one of those things to, to have, it's almost like this tension that you have to manage. Yeah. You know, within your life and in ministry, whereas I want to honor my leaders. I want to mm-hmm. follow them and I want to work, you know, beside them. But yeah. I also want to honor God. And yeah, that comes first. Yeah, so. I think that the the times that I've seen it it get in the way um, are oftentimes when there's a priority of product over people. Hmm. 
where something happens, somebody messes up, makes a mistake, mm. and the response is not to stop and identify and care for. Yeah. The response is to make sure that the product still mm. looks clean, yeah. looks, you know, yeah. good and holy and, you know, that's where I've seen the danger come in. That's where I've seen the church hurt happen and where people, you know, they, they end up associating the church's failing with God failing. Mm-hmm. And that's where yeah. I think the confusion really comes in. And, yeah. and I understand the impulse to, to not sully the name of, you know, your, your church home. Like you, you know, you don't, and I, by by the way, let me just clarify, I am not calling anybody out. This is, that's not my agenda. I have attended a a number of churches. My entire life has been, uh, we moved a lot. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, boy, I can't even tell you how many I've, I've attended, but, um, but that's, I think that's a common human response in, in the sense that, you know, you, you want to save face. Yeah. You know, you don't want to, you, you don't want to look foolish. And, and, you know, and in Western society, I think especially there's a tendency to understand things in terms of corporate. Yes. You know, the way that a business would be run. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the business, you know, they might say the customer is always right, but they're going to say face in the, you know, in, in terms of public relations. Yeah. There's an interesting conversation that Paul has. And Paul's one that talks a lot about personal failings, mm-hmm. about flaws and failures. And, um, and he, he says something, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go to it. It's in second Corinthians. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us being an ambassador for Christ. Like Paul uses a lot of politically charged terms, things that are like authoritarian, you know, figures of authority. He's from a Greco-Roman background. So it makes sense, you know, yeah. and the audience he's talking to would associate for, with with that um, very well. But in terms of ambassadors, like your whole role, your whole responsibility is to be a individual representation of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and we can talk a great deal about, you know, the church being the body of Christ and and that. But once again, the church is still made up of people, mm-hmm. still made up of people. Yeah. When Paul talks about being an ambassador for Christ, like you are on an individual level accountable. Yes. On an individual level. If an ambassador goes to a foreign country and does a poor job of representing he's not going to come back and get an applause. Like Mm -hmm. that's, you know, going to be, that's a big deal. Again, at the end of the day, it's an individual who should be held accountable because you are, you're carrying the mantle of Christ. I had an interesting conversation with somebody. It was in our city. We were talking about carrying the name, Lord's name in vain. Yeah. And there was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd been listening to um, a rabbi. It was on one of the Bible Project podcasts. And they had, as a guest, they had um, this rabbi on the show. And he was talking about the Ten Commandments. And he was talking about the commandment to not take the Lord's name in vain. And it was so interesting to me because he he was saying how he hears it interpreted as as just using curse words. And now we're instructed in the Bible not to use coarse language or, you know, 
um, uh, let the words, you know, that come out of your mouth be pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about how um, it's, it's, that's not what God is referring to. That commandment is like of extreme importance. Yeah. God makes it very clear. And he's like, why would that be put on a higher pedestal than like murder or adultery? Yeah. Why on earth would that be uh, more important? And he said that the actual translation of that, the the word carrying, he, it, it's it's talking about the when you the way that you wear his name and say that you're doing things in his name. It's like someone going into battle carrying the flag of of a certain country or a certain mm-hmm. people. You are representing them to others in battle. So you, it's the same way with carrying the Lord's name. He, it, do not go to war in my name. Say it's in my name yeah. when it's not. Yeah. And that was, I was, I was really taken aback by that because I thought about, again, this goes back to, to Paul's words. Like you're an ambassador for Christ. Like you are representing mm. him in everything that you do. So don't say you're doing something in his name. Yeah. If it's not, if yeah. he, he will hold you accountable to that. For sure. That's where a lot of, manipulation can happen yeah you know intentionally or non-intentionally right and absolutely and in ministry and when I read Rahab's story yeah honestly is pretty significant her faith yes with not having a background of actually knowing a lot of the story of God and what he has done but she heard enough to have faith Mm -hmm. and not be impressed with these two spies yeah be like wait that's (laughs) That's that's who represents you. Yes. Right. But she had enough faith to mm-hmm. believe. You know what? I I believe in God enough to yeah. to do yeah. this and to ask for mercy and to yeah. want to be a part of yeah. what they're going to, you know, to have, which well, and, is take over the land. Absolutely, and and to believe that they're going to. Yeah. Jericho had never been breached. Yeah. The walls of Jericho had never been breached. They were a militant force to be reckoned with, and they were allied with some really powerful people. Hmm. You wouldn't have gone to war with Jericho lightly. Yeah. And Rahab, you know, she's obviously not impressed by the spies. Yeah. No one would have been. <laughs> and and then, you know, and then their battle plan... <laughs> Yeah. really makes you have to scratch your head a little bit. You march around the walls and blow your trumpets a few times. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? That's the battle plan? Yeah. You know, so to have the faith to say, I'm on your side mm-hmm. and go against her own, yeah. like what would be considered her own people yeah. to go against, you know, their agenda. Mm-hmm. I mean, it took incredible faith. Yeah. I mean, she, she must have been impressed with what she heard about God. Yes. And impressed by seeing her own people yes. be in fear. Yes. Being this strong, yes. you know, city and having all of these allies and having yep. all of this, you know, that is for them, but still be in fear. Yeah. She must have been incredibly smart too. Absolutely. Really kind of discern and say, oh, wow. Yeah. This is different yeah. than anything else. And I think, you know, to go back to your question about how do you deal with you know, representing and yeah. leadership and yeah. all of that. And I think because faith comes by hearing and knowing God, there was, when I first started out in my journey yeah. with the Lord, uh, I had a sweet pastor and he would always tell us, you know, some of the younger people in his classes um, within seminary, he would always say, 
one thing you need to remember throughout your entire life is this, and he would say it in Spanish. It sounds so much better in Spanish than Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. You can translate for the rest. he would say, um, the Lord is my pastor. The pastor is not my Lord. Mm. So he would always make that reference of, mm. I'm your pastor, but I'm not your Lord. Yeah. You always look to God. Yeah. You always follow God. Yeah. Because he's going to make a mistake at some point. He's going mm. to, you know, not yeah. be impressive at some point, right, as a leader. So I think she yeah. heard enough about God to have that faith and not see the weakness of the spies. Yeah. And to just continue to follow what she knows about God and her faith. I, so I thought it was really cool, really awesome. That is, yes. I, I wasn't going to go here today, but the, it just reminds me so much of Samuel's conversation with God when the Israelites keep insisting on a king. Hmm. Because Samuel keeps essentially negotiating with Israel. He keeps telling them, no, God has created you to be a kingdom of priests. Yeah. A royal priesthood that, that he, you know, he wants you to seek him personally. Yeah. And they keep insisting. And finally, Samuel goes to God and he's, he's frustrated. He's frustrated. And it says, so he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you, it's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their mm -hmm. king. And they have done from the day I brought them out of, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. And let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And Samuel breaks it down for them. Like, mm -hmm. he tells them over and over, like, this is what's going to happen if you insist on putting a man in charge of you, mm -hmm. a human in charge of you. Yeah. And they keep insisting. And they, they essentially say, well, they say in verse 20, then we will be like all the other nations. Yeah. And I think that's such a human response because like you said you can see it it's yeah. it's tangible they can tell you right away yeah you know you don't have to go reading the bible or anything like the pastor yeah. can tell you yeah but there's so much danger in that and it's like your 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 pastor told you mm -hmm. the, say it again say it again because that was oh. the, the 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 lord is my pastor the pastor is not my lord it's right there. That's it. That's, 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 that's biblical. And that's what yeah. Samuel was trying to prevent yeah. for Israel. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, and we can see in their history what happened over and over and over with so many kings. You know, God anoints David and there's a beautiful season between David and Solomon for Israel. Mm -hmm. but it's up and down and it's over and over. It's up and down. And there's yeah. so many, there's so many heartbreaking stories of Kings who, you know, they start out serving God and the pressure of, yeah. of being the one that everyone is seeking yeah. for the answers. Yeah. You know, the pressure of that crumbles. Yeah. And, and I, I have to, I have to feel like, you know, I've seen that play out mm -hmm. where somebody puts the pastor as their Lord and they can't live up to that. Yeah. Yeah. They can't live up to that. Yeah. There's, there's like your pastor said, at some point I'm going to, I'm going to mess up. Like yeah. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm human. Mm -hmm. And, or at some point, you know, life's going to happen 
And I'm not going to be there for you because I can't. Exactly. I can't always be there for you. God can. Yeah. But a human being can't. Yeah. I mean, we all experience seasons of tragedy. We experience seasons of depression, of doubt, of just mm-hmm. you can't always be there for everyone else. It's yeah. impossible. And I think that when we try to, that's when you run into issues of codependency and, and toxic yeah. relationships or habits coping mechanisms that yeah. enter in that are yeah. unhealthy. And, yeah. you know, so that's, there's so much danger in that. But, um, and I think there's danger in placing any earthly authority on too high of a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because and they, we do that. We do people. that. We put people. In We're just like Israel. And then <laughs> as leaders, sometimes we kind of thrive in that, right? Cause we have oh, pride yeah. and then oh, yeah. we're like, well, I represent Christ. Yes. I represent God. <laughs> I was called by him. I, Listen to me. I have an assignment. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm important. <laughs> or yeah. Or I'm anointed and you hear all those things, but you have to almost like have a balance between, yeah. yes, I'm anointed. I'm called. I have an Absolutely. assignment. I, I am a pastor or mm-hmm. all these things mm-hmm. that define how you're going to serve God. But yeah, also have the humility to know that we're here to point people to Christ. Yeah. Point people to Jesus consistently. And yeah. that's that's a lot of responsibility. I think that's I think that's the reason that Paul leans so much on talking about his failures. Mm-hmm. Because he was an incredibly impressive figure in yeah. in scripture. Wrote over half the New Testament. Had all the credentials you would look for. Was very very intelligent. But he himself talks enormously about his failings. Yeah. And there's there's one section in 2 Corinthians that I kept coming back to because Paul gets into an almost heated conversation with the church at Corinth. Mm-hmm. You can almost feel the tone of frustration that he has with them. And he's clearly got a lot of love for the church. He, you know, he expounds about about that in the beginning of this letter. But he gets in on chapter 11 and he kind of leans in on the way in which they're they're following who he calls these super apostles. Mm-hmm. I kept coming back to this because I'm like, what is he talking about? I, I just want to read a section of it. it. Like I said, it's in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says, but I am afraid that just as Eve, w- Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Mm-hmm. And he says, I do not think I am the least inferior to those, quote, super apostles. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was curious about the language he was using because super apostles just doesn't really sound like Paul. And so I'm like, what, what is he talking about? And apparently there were a number of false apostles who were going around in Corinth and they were preaching a kind of cleaned up Jesus. Hmm. And by that, I mean, he wasn't ever depicted as being humiliated or degraded or any of those very real sufferings that Jesus went through that was kind of wiped away. It was a much more superhero version of Jesus. Yeah. You know, like 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 you you want him to be it's like they were his PR team. Hmm. As if Jesus needed one. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was, they were, they were preaching the gospel in, in that way. More appealing. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And they were very educated, very well-trained. Paul talks a lot about that and he yeah. goes in and there's like a whole dialogue that he has with them about how, you know, if you really want to boil it down, I've got more credentials than they do. Yeah. And he talks about like, yeah. he, he says, you know, you're, you're making me look like a fool because now I'm boasting about my credentials mm. and, you know, and, and he goes in on it and he's, you know, he's like, follow the logic through. I've got way more, you know, of a resume than they yeah, do, yeah. but you're, you know, you're, you're turning to them. And it was interesting to me because when I studied what they were preaching, it's, it's a triumphalism version of the gospel. And Paul is very careful in the way that he goes about preaching. He's careful not to, and, and triumphalism, just to clarify for, for those of you listening who might not know the term, it's essentially where you view the church as an agent for political control. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we've seen that play out in history how many times? I mean, yeah. it's over and over and over. And, and even presently we, we can identify areas where, yeah, that's, that's still been manipulated that way. And Paul is cautioning against that. And Paul doesn't, doesn't say, don't ever talk about it. Or don't want to ever stand up for what you believe. That's not at all. That mm-hmm. would be quietism. That's the opposite. Don't go that way either. But he's, he's cautioning the church about the motives and the agenda of the so-called super apostles Mm -hmm. and, and watch out for what you're falling for. You know, you're falling for a really convincing, pretty story, Mm -hmm. but it's not the gospel. Yeah. And, and that was, that was really interesting to me because I, I, I had to think back to times in my life where I remember one instance in particular, this was back in college and, um, I was working at a community college bookstore and I worked part of the time in shipping and receiving and then the other part of the time they'd have me in the cafe. And I loved working in the cafe because I had a good friend there. He and I were from very, very different backgrounds, but got along great. Both loved coffee, so we were always experimenting, making different concoctions. There was one day I could tell something was upsetting him and we talked about all kinds of stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were always just, that's what you did because it was slow. It's a community college. Come on. He went to go get some things out of the uh, pantry and he came back and he was, he, I could tell he was really bothered by something and he knew I was a Christian and I knew he wasn't, but he looked at me and he said, Heather, and he started going in on, on his, his background and the way that he was raised. And he was raised by racist grandparents who took him to church and consistently referred to him by the N-word. And Mm. the things that were taught to him, you know, that version of Christianity had put such a bad taste in his mouth that he couldn't figure out how I called myself a Christian. Mm. And it was that whole idea of who you represent. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember being so heartbroken because how in the world... Do I communicate that, like, yeah. it's, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's not the same God. I represent Christ. Yeah. And, and all I could do was tell him how it was so wrong the way that he was treated and how that wasn't the gospel the mm-hmm. way that I believed it. Yeah. And, 
And, you know, we, we had a, a beautiful conversation, but I, I remember feeling really helpless in terms of yeah. how do you clarify that, yeah. you know, because what you've experienced is so traumatic. What you've experienced is so wrong and it's yeah. so twisted and, and it's a total misappropriation of, of scripture. Yeah. But how do you, hmm. you know, like once somebody has, has gone through that, the only way that I feel like you can really clarify is that they weren't representing Christ. Yeah. They were representing an ideology and a twisted gospel. They yeah. were representing what Paul's cautioning the church against mm-hmm. following. Yeah. Like that's not true yeah. scripture. And what's being represented by that group mm-hmm. isn't Jesus. Yeah. So anyways, wow. but I... Uh, in your experience, I'm sure you've come across situations yeah. that are similar in 20 years. <laughs> I've seen quite a bit. Yeah. 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 So like, how do you, how do you navigate that on the other end? How do you navigate that when you're dealing with someone who has experienced the, the damage of mm-hmm. super apostles? Like, yeah. How do you, how do you approach that? I honestly, trying to represent Christ the best that I that I know how and I always keep going back to to what I learned in the beginning of yeah. pointing people to God. Yeah. And the only way that I know to point people to God is to stay in the word. Mm. Get to know God. Mhm. You know. Mhm. Uh, the apostle Paul will, um, I think in some of his letters he would always encourage the church to share this with the other churches. Yeah. Share my words and share my letters. I'm signing this with my own handwriting. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it's like, read it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Learn it yourself. Have your relationship with the Lord yourself. And obviously that takes time, right? When Absolutely. When we encounter people that have gone through, you know, abuse, abuse mm-hmm. of leadership, spiritual abuse, or mm-hmm. just, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunate situations of, racism or not yeah. representing God in, in a way that is, you know, loving and with grace. Yeah. We find, we find those people in the, the one way that I know is to point them to the word. Yeah. To get to know God. Yeah. Yourself. Have him be yeah. your Lord, your pastor. Yeah. And, you know, cause I'm going to make a mistake. Yeah. I'm going to disappoint people, yeah. you know, yeah. but hopefully I'm also putting God as my Lord and pointing people yeah. to the word and pointing people to Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. It's, I, I feel like the, the misrepresentation, you know, I go back to, to what that rabbi was saying in terms of, mm-hmm. of carrying the Lord's name in vain. And I feel like that is something that, um, you know, God, God's heart, is so much for justice. Mm-hmm. Is so much for justice. And it talks in scripture about God will not be mocked. Yeah. You know, he will not be mocked. And so, you know, I, I take comfort in that in the sense that maybe we won't see it in this life. Yeah. But the situations that I've seen that break my heart because I know, I know the God that they're claiming they represent mm-hmm. and what they're doing is so opposite yeah. of his heart. And that, you know, and it's causing so much pain and so much confusion for other people that ultimately 
has eternal significance. Yeah. You know, ultimately, the consequence of what they're doing could be someone's accepting yeah. or rejecting right. the gospel. Yeah. And um, and so the weight of that is so real. Sometimes, you know, I'll I'll be I'll be talking to God about it. And I'm like, what what do we do? Like, I feel I feel like in, you you can't you can't correct. You can't go around like, you know, stop doing that. Stop, you know, like, who yeah. am I to say that? You know, that's, that's, you know, but except that, except that I don't have control over that, except mm-hmm. that that is ultimately they're answerable to, to God. Yeah. And, um, and like you said, the one thing that I can do is make sure that in my thinking, I'm always representing Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's a weight of responsibility that is outside of Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Because that's another thing. Like when we confuse representing Christ with representing the church, well, you there's a, a weight of responsibility when you're representing the Almighty yeah. God who you're accountable to yeah. versus an earthly establishment or an institution, which is how, you know, when I say the church, I don't mean the actual body of Christ's individuals yeah, yeah. and, you know, believers. I mean like an institution and it's an entirely different matter. It's so yeah. easy to be more flippant mm-hmm. because it's, it's again, like you, you can kind of boil it down in your thinking in a lot of ways to a building or a company or, you know, yeah. something of that nature. Yeah. And you know, okay, whatever. I'll find another one. If they, you know, if I, yeah. if I do something that is upsetting, well, yeah. and they, and they kick me out, well, okay, I'll go find another one. It doesn't work that way with God. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you know, if you are, if you disregard the way in which you represent God, you don't have another option. Yeah. Yeah. There's only one. I think that the, the last thing that I wanted to say in, in reference to this, Paul is very clearly in his letters intentionally holding yeah. the churches accountable. Yeah. And and his letters come from a place of love. It's very clear mm-hmm. in the openings of his letters how much he values the the people yeah. that make up the church. But he says he says this and in chapter 7 Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy because you were made sorry but because your sorrow led to repentance. And he says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Mm-hmm. And that, I feel like, is a cornerstone of any of the leaders in the scripture yeah. who were successful. And, and by successful, I don't mean, you know, had financial success. Paul was broke yeah. and <laughs> beat and I mean ultimately martyred like he was not living the high life but I mean successful in terms of their ministry and Mm -hmm. the outcome of their ministry and those leaders a consistent thread amongst all of them is the accountability yeah their willingness to be held accountable Mm -hmm. and um, Paul never travels alone yeah. Paul is 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 never alone. He always has someone with him. And and you know, people like David, you know, who we, you know, we know uh, Israel's greatest king. Yeah. Uh had two prophets who yeah. were extremely honest with him in terms of holding mm-hmm. him accountable. Like they came to him, spoke very openly. We have recorded accounts like when 
David sins with Bathsheba, you know, he's approached by Nathan and Nathan lays it out there for him. Like he does not hold back. And David's response is one of willing confession, open and vulnerable confession in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. He humbled himself in the face of his servants. Like he was the king. He could have easily just said off with his head. Instead, he turns and repents. That is the mark of someone who is is willing to be held accountable. And again, just like your pastor pointed out to you, like I am a flawed human being. I will eventually mess up. Those are the areas where when we um, elevate ourselves to any kind of position of um, anointing or calling or whatever you want to refer to it as, that position doesn't put you above your humanity and the only reason that you are in that place of authority in the first place is God yeah so when you mess up which is an eventuality Mm -hmm. when you mess up that confession it doesn't exclude you from that calling because God's the one that ultimately gave it to you in the first place yeah in fact the only way for you to remain in that calling is for there to be that vulnerable confession, that humility, that um, accountability. That's the only way for God's blessing to remain on yeah. your calling. Yeah. Because otherwise, God will not be mocked. Yeah, you're right. You know, he, he's, it, it may look to the rest of the world like, you know, you just kind of you know, continued in this, this glorified existence but um, but there will be consequences anytime yeah. we play a cover up or confuse our our calling with any kind of positional mm-hmm. superiority. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, I just oh, I love that. I love that, <laughs> and I love what Paul is saying there because I imagine that he would say that a lot of like what I'm sharing here is mm-hmm. hard teachings, mm-hmm. right? I'm sorry, I'm. I'm bringing you sorrow, but it's going to benefit you in the long run. So I wonder if that, you know, the super apostles, what were they preaching? Like, were they just focusing on the good, on the, like, a win? Or holding people accountable to living a life that is honoring of God, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, when, when we go back in history, there's not a whole lot of evidence of exactly what they were mm-hmm. teaching. We simply know that they were redirecting the church toward a kind of political agency mm. and and controlling people through that. Yeah. And Paul's like, no, that's not yeah. the gospel. I mean, Jesus was really clear on that. Yeah. Jesus was really clear Very on that. Clear. I, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a yes. ransom. Like, yeah. it's pretty clear. Did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. Yeah. You know, and, and I go to prepare a place for mm-hmm. you. So, like, he's not here to prepare a place for me. He's going to prepare a place for yeah. me. And, and that, I mean, those are incredibly significant words that come straight from the mouth of Jesus that yeah. you, you know, you're, you're not, this isn't it. Yeah. This isn't home. Yeah. You're not here to establish mm-hmm. a reign yeah. or a rule of any kind, yeah. you know, and he's really, Jesus is really clear mm-hmm. on, on that. And, and the Bible overall mm-hmm. is really clear on, um, on us 
you know, there's there's a theme throughout the Old Testament of homelessness um, and and any kind of grasping for earthly home leads to homelessness. Hmm. And and any time that we are willing to abandon our earthly home for a higher purpose, for yeah. God, that's when we're found and we're yeah. established and rooted in a home and in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an earthly security is only through latching onto an eternal purpose. Yeah. Right. So, because then you're not dependent, mm-hmm. you know, you, you are, you're, uh, you, your, your position is secured with God, which is the only place that we can ever have. We have a temporary existence on earth. Yeah. We have a temporary life. It's linear. Yeah. You know, God sees things through the lens of an ellipsis. We see things in a straight line. Yeah. It's, it begins and then it ends. <laughs> For him, it doesn't. So, yeah. what would you say, like now, in the actual time that we live in, what would that look like? The super apostles. What is that? Today? Ooh, that's a good question. I personally feel like it's anyone whose goal in preaching the gospel or in in scripture is to control. Mm-hmm. Anytime someone um, sees their status as a preacher or a pastor as any kind of um, ruling authority um, and not as a as an act of servitude Mm -hmm. that is where you get into super apostle type territory because then your agenda behind scripture is no longer to serve people and to 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 bring them closer to god you're bringing them closer to yourself. Mm. And it's honestly, it's, it, there's a lot of crossover in that, in that mindset to cults. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. easy to start twisting scripture. There are so many homegrown cults in America yeah. that take scripture, a little bit of scripture, and then mix it all up with their yeah. agenda. Yeah. And they're able to control entire people groups because they've mixed the truth, the ultimate truth with a lie those yeah. are the most dangerous kinds of lies. Yeah. Those are those are the ones that are the most difficult to sift through and wade through. I was talking with a, a lady recently who who grew up Mormon, and she was talking about when she left and she converted to Christianity. She was talking about having to wade through mm-hmm. the way that it had been taught to her in the past and read the Bible for the first time yeah. without that yeah. agenda attached mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that in, in terms of present day, because there are plenty of examples in present day, there are plenty of examples of leaders who have taken scripture and they mix it with their own agenda. And yeah. anytime that happens, anytime you're trying to motivate a particular behavior that benefits you yeah. through scripture, be careful. It's so hard. It is. I think it's so hard for, you know, for us as people to it is. identify that. It is. Or then, you know, I know that I experienced a little bit of like, well, we extend grace. <laughs> and so we utilize grace to cover. And, mm-hmm. and the word of God says, you know, it covers multitude of sins, but up to what extent or what is, how do you balance that? Like, how do we balance that? You know, maybe seeing someone that is, you know, a leader or someone in authority, maybe falling in the, you know, in that category of super apostle or having his own agenda or her own agenda. 
but at the same time, you know, like yeah. sticking to the cause of, you know, the Lord and the church and, yeah. you know. That, that, there's something I saw, Dr. Anita Phillips, she, it was a clip from, from, um, a sermon that she preached and what she said, it hit me so hard because I thought the way that she phrased it was so powerful, but she was talking about our choices. We have a responsibility as Christians that our choices are not made with a desired outcome in mind. Mm. We don't we don't decide what course of action to take based on a desired outcome. Mm-hmm. We make choices based on what's right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference. Yeah. I think that when we're measuring what to do, that's good. And and obviously there're going to be instances where you might not be the right person to speak into that person's life. Find mm-hmm. someone who is. Mm-hmm. Find someone who is. Because that accountability is essential. Yeah. And when we see someone making choices, and, and in particular, anyone who's using scripture yeah. with an agenda in mind, but when they're making choices based on a desired outcome, if you have the relational equity to speak into their life, I think you have the responsibility as well. Yeah. Because you... As a Christian, when we are following in God's will, he's the one that orchestrates Mm -hmm. our outcomes. As long as we are willing to surrender and place ourselves in his will, then the choices that we have to make along the way are going to be pretty clear. Yeah. Because right and wrong, when you line yourself up with Christ and when you line yourself up with what his word says, right and wrong becomes black and white. Yeah. And there's no space for gray anymore. Yeah. And, and and it's so much it's so much of an easier burden to carry. Life is hard mm. enough, but we make it a lot harder yeah. when we start inviting the gray in. Yeah. It's a lot harder. Yeah. And it there's so much that we have to sift through in our own personal baggage, our own, you know, uh, lives just the mess that 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 eventually, you know, we all encounter if we haven't already, you guaranteed to in this life so there's enough to have to sift through in in that realm we we create more for ourselves than we were ever meant to carry when Mm. we when we do when we invite that that gray space in instead of making our choices based on what is right and what is wrong what is what is for god and and what is clearly not in line with his word yeah so yeah i don't know if that answers exactly that's good that's good it's just you know, it brings to mind, uh, I've encountered so many people that yeah. don't go to church yeah. anymore because yeah. of instances like yes. this, because they have church heard or, and you know, mm-hmm. have lived through leaders, unfortunately, or pastors that, you know, have fallen through yeah. through these things, and, and then they don't go back to church because yeah. it's like, how do I... I yeah. believe in God and I have faith in God, but I don't have faith in the mm-hmm. church anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where that representing Christ is, is it carries a lot of weight. It's it does. So such a big responsibility. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. You're absolutely right. No. And, and that's, that's where I feel like if we truly care about those who we are in ministry with, holding them accountable is an act of love. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. at the end of the day, if you say you are carrying the mantle of Christ, yeah. but you're really carrying 
ammunition for your own agenda, mm-hmm. you will be held accountable for that. Yeah. And that is something, so that is something why, you know, one reason why I think that accountability is so important. It's not just about the potential damage you could do to other people. It's the damage you can do to yourself. Yeah. Because Definitely. it's so easy to start to buy into your own lies. Mm-hmm. It's so easy when you are being dishonest with yourself to get so tangled that you can't make heads or tails anymore. Yeah. yeah. You don't know which way is up and which way is down anymore. It's just too confusing at that point. Yeah. Uh, human minds are only capable of so much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you for being on this uh, episode. You were you were the one I wanted to have this conversation with, so I really, Thanks. really appreciate oh, that. I love it, and it's such a hard topic. Yeah. And there's so much more that we can go into. <laughs> so much more. So much more, but... <laughs> But where where can where can people find you? Oh my goodness, social media is uh, not my best friend. <laughs> Those that know me really well yep. know that I'm like in and out, yeah, and then I disappear yep. for like months, and then I come back and I'm like, <laughs> hey, I'm alive. <laughs> but yeah, I'm usually scrolling through TikTok, and I'm there as uh, Diana F. Campo Kay. and you know Instagram, but. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again, Deanna. I really, really appreciated your willingness to be on a a tough conversation. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of Scripts on Scripture.